was going to walk into this agent's office and this agent was going to be like, let's do this because I had been referred by someone and this man just would really let me know, like, not only do I not want you, no one wants you. And so it was very uh, debilitating. I remember it was 9 a.m. in the morning and I was in Gramercy in New York. And I remember being like, I'm a down here this early in the morning for this level of disrespect. Because <laughs> I lived in Harlem, so that's the truth. And I got up from the, like, I literally like stood up and I was like, you know what? We can just stop this meeting now because it's too early for this kind of rejection. Welcome to Imposters, the show where I talk to world-class execs, athletes, and entertainers about their personal challenges and how overcoming those challenges has shaped their careers and lives for the better. I'm your host, Alex Lieberman, co-founder and executive chairman of Morning Brew. My guest today is Amanda Seals. Amanda is a comedian, actress, writer, and producer. Many know her for her portrayal of Tiffany Dubois on HBO's Insecure, as well as her stand-up special, I Be Knowin. She's also the host of two podcasts, Small Doses with Amanda Seals and Smart Funny and Black Radio on SiriusXM. Currently, Amanda is on tour for her comedy show, Black Outside Again, which has dates across the country through the end of the year. Something remarkable about Amanda's career is that she has managed to be incredibly successful while also remaining fiercely independent. And that's not typical of a lot of people in Hollywood after they've quote unquote made it. But that's not to say her journey to mainstream success was a linear one. As Amanda describes, she faced intense rejection from the industry, which kept wanting to put her in a box, but facing that adversity only made Amanda more invested in her artistic voice. It was a profoundly funny and insightful discussion. My full conversation with Amanda Seals after the break. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. It offers flexible spending capacity that adapts to your business. You can also earn up to $395 in annual statement credits on eligible purchases at select business merchants. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. Amanda Seals, thank you so much for joining Imposters. Thank you for having me. So I think many people may know you from The Real or your standout character as Tiffany on Insecure or your 2019 HBO special. And we're going to touch on different parts of your career journey. But first, can you talk about the early days of your life and your career and how you found comedy as a personal outlet for yourself? Um, you know, comedy was not a part of the early days of my career. You know, I was like a young actor doing television stuff and commercials. I mean, I did end up on My Brother and Me, which was a comedy on Nickelodeon. But I would say that just as a consumer, I was really low-key obsessed with SNL mm -hmm. and Seinfeld. And I mean, even to answer your question, I'm just like, was I looking at comedy as a as a healing device? I don't know. I mean, I, I didn't live like a very traumatic, I had like a pretty placid youth, but I think my family was just, were funny. Like humor has just always kind of been in the atmosphere around me. And I definitely did not consider that humor would be a part of like 
my actual career trajectory in such a deliberate way. Like I was always like just being funny because I like to see people laugh. It feels like a superpower when you can make people laugh. It just is a fun. It's like it's just I listen to conversations where people aren't funny and I'm just like, so how does this work? Like, so you guys just talk and <laughs> that person says something and then you say and then something. You say something. And then that person's like, I'll overhear, like I'll ear hustle conversations where I'm like, I ain't heard a joke yet. No one has said a joke yet. And I'm just like, that feels boring. So I feel like maybe, you know, humor played a role in my life early on just as a device of making this journey interesting. It's interesting even you saying that because this idea of enjoying making people laugh, not to say that that is kind of like, the hallmark of a people pleaser, but it is uh, a motivation is to make people laugh. But I would actually argue you're not a people pleaser. You know, I was right. I was, I was watching, um, an interview that you did a few years ago with, uh, Trevor Noah and that that was, that was an awesome one. And I can't remember the exact question he asked, but basically you had said that like, I don't care about pissing people off. I care about being misconstrued or people, uh, misunderstanding what I'm saying Tell me what exactly you mean by that. Because to me, that's just like a very different vibe than also having the desire to make people laugh. I mean, I just really, I understand that people get pissed off for reasons that have nothing to do with hurting feelings for like an intentional purpose, right? I know that I'm not saying things for the intention of wanting to hurt people's feelings. That doesn't change the fact that people... You know, as Gloria Steinem said, like, the truth shall set you free, but first it will piss you off. So, you know, as a truth translator, as somebody who really makes an effort to identify the things that need to get said, because there's a lot of fluff, right? You you know that that's going to create friction in that space. So I can't care about that because that's part of my purpose. And if I care about that, it's like counterintuitive like you're it's it it serves no purpose right however I do get frustrated though when there feels like it's an intentional effort to misunderstand or misrepresent what I'm saying because I know that I'm very clear in why I'm saying things and so I feel like when when people have committed to misconstruing or misinterpreting it's just so frustrating it's so frustrating because it just feels like it's really seeking to do something other than pursue truth and communicate and understanding. And that's really, to me, the goal. So when I see people doing that, it feels like, oh, your effort is disingenuous. So your effort is like malicious. What's an example of that? I would say an example of that is, you know, it's the famous like internet thing where it's like, I like oranges. And then someone will be like, well, what about apples? So are you disrespecting (laughs) apples now? People can't like apples. I mean, like, I put up a video once where I had, like, tried on my prom dress from 1999. And I was like, oh, my God, I can fit my prom dress from 99. I can fit my prom dress from 99. And there were people who were like, this is very disrespectful to people who can't fit their prom dress from 1999. And you are fat shaming people by being proud of yourself for fitting your prom dress from 1999. And I'm just like, that to me is not a valid argument. What goes through your head when you hear something like that? When when you basically hear someone that from your perspective is completely trying to effectively pervert what you've said into something that is far more nefarious than what it actually is. Who hurt you? 
That's the first thing I think. Who hurt you? Because if I backtrack to how we got here, it's going to land at someone hurt you and has you acting like this. (laughs) And there's something that made you unhappy. Something, yeah. And it could go as far back as your childhood. It could go as recent as someone you dated. But there's some reason why you're projecting into this space an energy that this space does not hold. Mm-hmm. And so that's the first thing I think. The second thing I think is, fuck you. <laughs> the fuck out my page. <laughs> <laughs> that's the second thing I think. I love it. Um, let's go back for a second because we we got on the the track of you know, comedy wasn't this intentional thing like, oh, I'm going to go do comedy. You enjoyed comedy. You had funny people in your family. Do you remember the point at which you're like, this is going to be a thing that I do? Absolutely. And why did you make that decision? So around 31, I found myself in transition. I had gone by this name, Amanda Diva, and I had decided it was time to do away with that. And I had been very immersed in hip hop for 10 years as a host, as a writer, as an artist. And I saw the music changing. I saw the industry changing. You know, I saw the business of music changing. And I just started to see myself disassociating from it. I didn't feel as uh, connected to hip hop as a music or as an industry as I had for that time. And so I'm somebody- Why was that? Because I just said everything was changing. Like it was just was not, it wasn't, it was changing into something that was far more commercial, Got it. Uh, far more surface. And I just found myself just not as interested. I will also say, too, that I was toying with being an artist and I had put out my own independent albums and stuff. And I realized that I was pouring way more into this than I was going to get out of it. I felt like I had identified that the type of artist that I am and wanted to be would not be supported by this industry at least what was the type of artist that you wanted to be i mean at that time i was singing and rapping and everyone was like you can't do both i mean that's preposterous and i'm like but lauren like lauren hill did it you know like Mm -hmm. she did it really well and uh they're like yeah well she was the only one and now as we see that's not the case i just wasn't interested in signing up for What seemed to me to be like this necessity of you dressing a certain way and looking a certain way in order to you for you to be received a certain way. So I just decided, you know, to pivot. I consider myself very good at knowing when to pivot. It's a gift that I feel like has helped me throughout this life. And that as I've gotten older, I pivot even faster. And it's not a brash decision. It's not something that I do out of just like panic or fear. It's more so just being more adept at identifying the pivot and why it needs to happen earlier because I have more wisdom, right? And which has allowed me to save money, (laughs) save time, um, and save energy. So with this time, it was like, I would say it was the first time in my life that I was like pivoting in such a strong way because I had committed myself to hip hop like so deeply. I mean, I was married to this thing. And so I I knew that I needed to let this name go. So I let the name go. And then I was just kind of floundering, like, where do I plant my feet? And I remember just like, you know, just talking to people and no one really had any valid advice. Like it was kind of just like, yeah, you figure it out or whatever. And I'm like, yeah, but I, I'm not figuring it out. Like, I don't know what I'm doing. So many of us experience this terrifying moment in life where we've committed so many years of our working lives to one path, only to realize after a certain point that it's just not working out. 
Figuring out your next move, your pivot, however, can be a daunting task, especially after you've been so laser-focused on one thing for so long. For Amanda, what helped her determine her next move was knowing the value in really listening to the people around her, even when at first their advice didn't sit well with her. I remember a friend of mine, no, an ex of mine, had this friend who was like, you know, you need to figure out a label for yourself. And at the time, that just seemed preposterous. Like, I don't like boxes and I don't like labels and that's just not what I'm shining up for. And she was a publicist and she did say something that was very valuable. And she was like, you don't need a label for you. You need a label for them. You know who you are. But these people out here don't. And the truth is, you have to simplify who you are for the folks to even get it. And I I was kind of obtuse about it at first, but I'm a very best idea wins kind of person. And it just made sense. You know, the more I thought about it, the more it made sense. And then it becomes for me like, okay, well, how do I align myself with this thing that makes sense without foregoing or forfeiting my integrity and like the things that really ground me and that make sense to me? Yep. So then I was like, okay, now I have this North Star that I'm moving toward, right? A label. What, 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 what would be my label, right? Like, am I a humorist? Am I Will Rogers? And I listen. I really listen. And people will just say things to you. And it might mean, like, that whole reason season lifetime thing. Like, someone in a cab, a cab driver might just, like, say something to you that you just needed to hear at that time. And even though it may have been said to you 50, 11 times before, like, at that moment, at that time, in this life, you heard it and it mattered. And I remember at this time, I had ran into Nick Cannon. And he was like, you need to do a one-woman show. And I was like, no, I need to be back on television. And he was like, I hear you. But the real thing is that people don't know like the true depth of your genius. And that's part of the problem. They've only seen you as a host for the past few years because I was doing Best Week Ever and I was a VJ. And, you know, I was doing a lot of just reading a prompter. But I heard him when he said people don't know the full depth of your artistry. And that's part of the problem. So I started I set meetings with the CEOs of all these places that I work at. So at VH1, Bravo, Comedy Central. And when I sat down to talk to them, the goal was really just to let them know, like, you know, I can do more than just read a prompter, right? So if you have anything else going on, consider me. And I mean, some people might say, well, wouldn't you have an agent do that? Or wouldn't you have a manager do that? And I definitely would have had a manager or an agent do that, but I didn't have a manager or an agent because I was told that I was not like the kind of talent that needed to be represented. I was told by an agent straight up, like, no one wants what you're offering. No one's interested in a smart, funny black girl who knows about hip hop. How do you process that emotionally? Like what's your MO when you hear shit that basically diminishes your ability? I mean, I would say at that time, I was a lot more fragile and everything felt so urgent Mm -hmm. also. And so like, I thought I was gonna walk into this agent's office and this agent was gonna be like, let's do this because I had been referred by someone and this man just would really let me know, like, not only do I not want you, no one wants you. And so it was very uh, debilitating. I remember it was 9 a.m. in the morning and I was in uh, Gramercy in um, New York. And I remember being like, I'm down here this early in the morning for this level of disrespect. Because I lived in Harlem, so that's a troop. And I got up from the, like, I literally, like, stood up. And I was like, you know what? We can just stop this meeting now because it's too early for this kind of rejection. It's not even 920. I got to go. And it was this very, like, 
sloppy, older white man who said it to me. And I need to give that description because it was like, you're somebody that I wouldn't even expect to see me, you know, let alone, like, I I just, the world has taught me that when someone like that sees me, it's a unique situation because he just doesn't have to. Um, He literally said to me, if you had a twin sister in a cupcake business, I could see you being on TV, but eh, you don't. And so that was like, okay. And then I had a meeting with another agent who wasn't as acerbic, but he said to me in the kindest way, if you're not willing to be on reality TV and either be sexy or dumb, like there's no room for you. So in that, to answer your question, I was just, I was dejected and I was like, you know, this is really shitty. And my homeboy was like, I think you should do what Nick had told you to do and write the one woman show. Once again, Amanda found herself at a crossroads. Not only had she decided to leave the hip-hop industry that she had dedicated so many years to, but even after making the decision to pivot, she found that no one wanted her. Thankfully, she took Nick Cannon's advice, and in 2012, she produced her one-woman show called Death of a Diva, which was really impactful in helping her change directions from hip-hop to comedy. We're going to take a quick break here, but when we come back, We'll get into how Amanda has managed to grow her platform and career while also managing to stay true to herself and her values as an independent artist. Stay with us. back with my conversation with Amanda Seals. Before the break, we spoke about all the redefinitions and pivots that Amanda had to take to get to comedy, all while retaining her unique voice in the process. So I wanted to know where that creativity and deep sense of self came from. Something else that just strikes me is, and again, I don't know what created this for you in, in your life, how much of it is nature versus nurture, but it just strikes me in the the 30 minutes of talking that you have such a deep sense of self. And even at times in your career where you've thought about pivoting or moving, I could see it being so easy for anyone who is in hip hop, seeing where the industry is going, it's getting more commercial, but like it is the cool thing to do to create, even if it's surface level music, but you can monetize yourself really well. I'd say nine times out of 10, people will take that trade versus go the direction you went. And to me, it takes a really strong sense of self to know that may be working, but that's not what works for me. I know I can't sustain it. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's like even deciding what my podcast was going to be. There was people who were giving me all these ideas and I was like, yeah, but I can't see myself doing that for longer than like six months. Like I need a format. Yep that I can commit to for like life. <laughs> Which by the way is so, is so big, right? Because at the end of the day, I fundamentally believe talent is important, but actually the most important thing is how consistent can you be for a long time and doing it thanklessly. And most people fail because they don't have the interest or the capability for 10 years to do something thanklessly without getting a pat on the back or money for it. Listen, it's a choice. Like that's why when people say like, oh, I'm an artist, I'm like, mm. Unless you're somebody who like exists in your art, regardless of your art driving your livelihood, you're not really an artist. You know what I'm saying? Because you can do art for money, but it's not 
feeding your soul. And so for me, I think I'm self-aware simply because I'm just an only child and I was just around myself like a lot, <laughs> like a lot. But I think I also had to become self-aware because I was always keenly aware of everything else. I'm just like a hyper aware person. Like people, like I've been told, like I would be great to rob a bank with because like no one's sneaking up on us. That is an absurd comment. Like no one's sneaking up on us. Like I'm, I'm like the security guard on the left. Like, so you know, I just have a hyper-awareness. I'm hypersensitive. And being very self-aware, it's the best way to protect myself. You can't do it by yourself, you know, and you need staff, but you need money to staff. <laughs> and you also need a certain level of help at a certain point, right? So you need people that have a certain level of experience, but you need to be able to pay them right? So that becomes its own dance. Like right now, I need a COO. That's what I need. I need a COO who knows as much about Hollywood and is as sick of Hollywood as I am. Like that's the yeah. headline. And that person's going to be expensive. Correct. Correct. And then, you, and then you go back to what you're talking about, which is how do you then make enough money to pay for that person, but in a way that feels earnest to the art? There you go. What's so. the answer? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the answer is you double down on really working with the people that you like and trying to figure out the ways in which you all can go through the doors you've already opened. You consistently stay consistent. You know, I think that sometimes when we're in these situations, folks think that, okay, let me avert to something else. For instance, it would be very easy for me right now to be like, let me stop doing my podcast. Like, let me just like focus on other things. But it's like, no, no, you've already put four years into this and it's not draining you. It has a sustenance, right? So look at the things that are draining you, do away with those, but look at the things that are sustaining you and continue to pour into that. You need to get rid of the stuff that is not serving you and refine the stuff that is. And sometimes when you reassess the things that you have on your table, you realize like, oh, this actually could be feeding me more. So like, for instance, with my podcast, it's like, okay, I have a really strong following on Instagram. Maybe we can offer packages for our ad sales that include my Instagram. Yep. That's something that's not a big lift for anybody involved, right? But can create a much greater return. Um, Okay, I mean, I have a solid listenership. Let me look at just getting another level of guests. You know, let me explore that. And I'm not a slouch. Like, people know who I am. So people are willing to come on my podcast, but they've never been asked, <laughs> you know? So these things, I'm not saying that they are magic fixers, but they're just like little things that you never really bothered with because you were so busy doing other things that you thought were going to turn up that when you take a moment to reassess can just, again, inch you forward. I think that there's a number of things in kind of being independent in any form, whether it's an independent artist, whether it's a freelancer, whether it's being a solo entrepreneur, that you realize are challenges in the journey that you were blind to before. And I think you talked about a number of them here. I mean, one is you have really strong business savvy around what you're doing. And I would say for the typical independent artist or independent creative, that is not a muscle that they've used before. I and had to learn that. Yeah, I was going to say, and that is so, that. it is so <laughs> important to build up one so that you don't get fucked over during the journey yeah, and so that you can self-advocate for yourself. And then I think the second is, from my experience for artists and for creatives, 
really for anyone who considers what they're doing to be an art or kind of mission-driven work, they hate the idea of being self-promotional because it feels <laughs> it, it feels like being a sellout. You're peddling but, your wares. Yeah, yeah. But like what you just mentioned, right, about uh, kind of leveraging this multi-million person following on Instagram that you have in order to drive more listenership, it's not like a question if you should do it. You have to do it you if you want to be a self-sustaining <laughs> artist and entrepreneur. But it feels very antithetical to the art that you're doing or to like why you got into it in the first place. Well, let me tell you, I have a brand, Smart, Funny, and Black. We do live shows. We have a radio show on Sirius. We just did the Kendi Center. We'll be at the Novo in Los Angeles in August and in Brooklyn and Atlanta in October. And it's something that I've poured into for the past six years. I mean, I've Smart, Funny, and Black has been my lifeblood to the point where I made it my, my outward-facing brand. And this year, this summer, I have a, I have, I had like a mass during this, during the pandemic, I had put together a team of folks that, you know, we've just been working together and they would always be like, you know, you don't put yourself out there enough. And I'm like, what are you talking about? Like I'm on Instagram every damn day. Like I'm out <laughs> here and there. And I just never really understood like what they were saying. And then I was having a conversation with, with, uh, somebody in the industry and they were like, well, the truth is, is that even with Smart, Funny, and Black and Small Doses and, you know, these spaces that you create, they're great spaces, but you at the end of the day are the person creating them. And that's why you should be the North Star, not Smart, Funny, and Black as the brand. And I realized that I unintentionally, I was like hiding behind it because the idea of it being like the Amanda show and the Amanda website and the Amanda felt very immodest and fame seeking and just really, like you said, antithetical to like what I do as an artist. But what was explained to me was the fact that, yes, I can see, like the person was like, I can see why you would feel that way, but it doesn't change the fact that at the end of the day, this art is being created by you. And so there isn't anything antithetical by putting you at the front of this art. And so I changed everything in the last three months. Amanda Seals tour as opposed to a Smart Funny and Black tour. AmandaSeals.com versus SmartFunnyandBlack.com. Whether you like it or not now, it, it is the Amanda Seals show. It's the fucking Amanda Seals show. But I will, tell you, I will tell you this though. I think had I made this switch earlier, I wouldn't necessarily have been as clear as I am right now in how to live in that in a very authentic way and not let it run away from me. Makes total sense. For independent artists, creatives, even entrepreneurs who are on this journey on their own, creating their art of some form, whether that is a product or whether that is music or whether that is comedy, what lessons or recommendations do you have for them about how to be an independent, strong-voiced, but also successful artist who can build a large audience? What are the lessons that you've learned in doing it yourself? One of the biggest things was having to get over my aversion for business. Um, there's this kind of, I don't know if it's just an artist thing or if it's a me. No, it is an artist thing, but it's like, oh, business is bad, mm -hmm. right? Because capitalism is trash. That's a fact. But you live here. And if you're choosing a career of creativity, you're going to have to get creative about commerce. 
And it's like, it, it takes a bit of, you know, kind of just convincing yourself that if you don't do it, it'll get done to you. Mm-hmm. So that was like a big, big, big thing. So when you said like, oh, you have business savvy, that like warmed my heart because I had to learn that. And my mom at one point used to be like, you don't care about making money. You don't care about any of this. And I don't know how you're going to support yourself. <laughs> and I was like, it's not that I don't care about making money. I'm just not willing to demean myself to make the money. Like, you know, like I will not take certain jobs because I'm like this. I can't do this because I'm not going to be able to answer for this years later. And we'll tell ourselves that we don't want to make it our interest because it's beneath us or because it's against our principles, but it's really fear. Mm-hmm. It's fear. Fear of what? It's fear that if you learn it, that you're going to get sucked into this, you know, capitalist, you know, sewer and they're going to drain your swamp, <gasps> you know, like, <laughs> but I will actually, I will tell you, I make it my business to be as ethical as one can be. Mm-hmm. And, um, that's all you can do on that. So first, uh, I would really be curious what your mom thinks of your impression of her. Uh, second, <laughs> um, you you talked about this a little bit before, but for people who put themselves out there in the way that you've put yourself out there, so having strong points of view, being unapologetic about those strong points of view, and at times getting shit about it, whether it is valid or not valid, what are your recommendations for independent artists and independent folks who are going to face that, how do they deal with it? Well, you got to have a therapist. (laughs) Um, And I say a therapist. And then the next thing I'm going to say is you got to have like a good tribe of people around you. Because at the end of the day, the reason why you need this is because some of that shit does get through. You know, no matter how strong you are of a person, no matter how sure of yourself you are, how mature, sometimes it gets through. You know, you might be just in a certain space of time or someone might just have said this, the exact right shit to you, you know, that just, just broke that nerve. And you need those people who can remind you and center you and ground you when you have lost the ability to do so. And it's important because when you don't have those people, you might end up going in directions that are harmful to you. And seeking out methods that are avoidant. And if it's harmful to you, then how can you make your art? 100%. Amanda Seals, thank you so much for joining Imposters. Thanks for having me. This is great. There are so many things to take away from Amanda Seals' journey. She isn't a conventional artist by any means. And because of that, there was a lot of misunderstanding of her voice when she started off. Even outside of entertainment, when you're someone trying to do a unique, specific thing that hasn't been done yet, you will be met with resistance by an institutional thought process. For Amanda, it was carving out her own niche as a hip hop artist and comedian. For you, it might be your startup that is bucking the conventional way of doing things. So if you're going to take away anything from this conversation, know that sticking to your voice isn't ever easy. It will be a tough, nonlinear path to success. But if you stay true to your personal and business values, success will follow. Now, Imposters listeners, we need your help. We would love to hear from you on how the conversations on Imposters have impacted your life. How does this show help you in your career or your personal life? Are there any particular guests or episodes that have stood out to you? And tell me the stuff that you haven't liked where you want the show to get better. Our goal is simple. We want to make this as valuable as humanly possible and make the show worthy of your time. 
So shoot me an email at alex at morningbrew.com and I'll get back to you as soon as possible. Imposters is a production of Morning Brew. Our senior producer is Vishnu Vallabhaneni and Makila Heck is our producer. Brian Henry is our executive producer and A.B. Silver is our booking producer. Our sound engineers are Dan Bauza and Rosemary Minkler. Greg Jacobs is our video producer and Sarah Singer is our VP of Multimedia. Our theme song is by the mysterious Breakmaster Cylinder. Original music in this episode is by Rosemary Minkler. <laughs>